Hey coach, Xenia Wood here, owner and founder of Swift Coaches and Swift Movement Academy. Our vision is to live in a world where health business owners turn their passions into profits and create financial freedom guilt-free. And for all of those exercise and rehab professionals to finally feel confident as fuck in their technical skills, and we never again see another coach leave the industry because of it. What you're about to hear is a bite-sized jam-packed version of one of our episodes. So if you're looking to learn swiftly, this mini episode is for you. Let's dive straight in. You obviously done some work in with meniscus as well. So involving meniscus, not involving meniscus in an ACL, what what are you looking at um, in terms of what would differentiate your programming, let's say, if someone tore their ACL and a meniscus versus um, just an ACL? Yeah, so uh, meniscus does, it does change things, mainly in the first probably 12 to 16 weeks, the first three to four months. Uh, depends on the extent of the repair as well. So you might get a repair that uh, is, it's big or it's in a, in it's in a quite a vulnerable position or there's little blood flow and the surgeon has said, all right, you're going to be six weeks non-weight bearing. You could also get a repair that's only minor, maybe only requires a one stitch or it's it, the type of tear because you can have different tiles where it's horizontal, radial, bucket handle, all those kind of things, that they're happy for them to weight bear straight away. So probably the first thing is being really clear on the restrictions because naturally if someone is six weeks non-weight bearing, then they are going to be uh, significantly behind of what a normal ACL would be. Like we've pretty much put a handbrake on for the first six weeks. Yeah, she can do a lot of stuff when they're not weight bearing still, but still they're, they're not going to be running at, at 12 weeks like the normal ACL. And probably the other things is most of the tears will happen in the posterior horn or the posterior half of either the medial or lateral meniscus. And the meniscus is, is more susceptible to high levels of compression, particularly in a weight-bearing position. So uh, they will be still working reasonably hard on the strength stuff, but we can just modify our ranges of motions, things like that, not pushing depth early, just getting them strong in a smaller range of motion so that we can still work on their strength and function, but not put too much undue stress on the meniscus because that's really healing up over that first 12 weeks. So we have to be mindful of that, that we're not over overstressing it. And then probably the last thing is meniscus is one of the shock absorbers of the knee. So it's going to be susceptible to, to impact tight loading. So that comes into the running, jumping and those kind of things. So we're probably delaying that for a little bit longer than a conventional ACL um, because of those factors. So it's mainly considering the type of or the extent of the repair and the post-operative restrictions, what, how much that's going to delay it the compressive factor in deeper degrees of knee flexion and then uh, impact-related activities are all going to be delayed off the back of a meniscus repair with an ACL at the same time. Yeah, okay. And so those are the changes with the meniscus involvement or not in terms of like it's delayed, it's, you know, we need to be careful about how much force absorption or, you know, that deeper knee work that we're doing. What about non-operative cases? What is your take on people who choose to, because obviously there's some some new research out there saying we don't need to operate, you can still return to sport. Like um, what's your thoughts on that? For an, AC, an ACL mainly? Yeah, an let's go ACL. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very topical area at the moment. Like there's a huge amount of interest and there's been some big uh, papers coming out. 
we've got kind of, there's now potentially three groups. We've got the classical ACL reconstruction, which somebody who is having ongoing instability and giving way in their knee um, or has a degree of locking or catching due to a meniscus tear or something should probably have surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, then we've got the uh, delayed surgery, which is what most people should go down this pathway, uh, which is or the, I should say the option for delayed surgery. So that's 12 weeks of really good structured rehabilitation, monitoring for instability and um, issues uh, like that um, as you progress through that. And if they are starting to have those instability events and they're having ongoing functional issues with their knee, then they should probably have surgery. And if they're not, then they don't, basically. So... Uh, we know that about 50, roughly about 50% of people will, uh, at the moment, most likely require surgery and 50% can probably cope without it. In Australia, we operate on close to 80 to 90% of ACLs. So we're way out of kilter there. And the, it's kind of changing. Uh, it's changing at the moment, the management of non-operative. So we've got... Um, uh, a couple of, at the moment who's returning back to AFL, um, another girl who's, she's a bit down, further down the line as well, and she's doing all her hopping and jumping, and she just wants to get back to recreational stuff, no ACL, no problem. Um, and then we've got another one who's just recently torn, and she's going trialling the non-operative pathway as well. So it's definitely happening more, and I'm seeing we are getting success with with those people. So I think it should be an option that we should explore. We just need to be truly understand when it is the time for somebody to to have the surgery, and making sure that they do have a surgical opinion, so that they fully understand the risks involved with the non-operative management and the risks involved with surgery, because there's risks on both sides. So we have to get that opinion. And then we have to know when it's when it's not working at the same time. But in a lot of cases, they can kind of go without it. When they would go without it, is this just to return back to sort of recreational activities or have you seen people return back to, you know, pretty intense sport after non-operative? Yeah, I've seen we have had people go back to competitive level sport, locally competitive level sport. There is a big question mark. At the professional level, we're not really seeing it. There are a few in basketball and soccer and sports like that, not seeing it as much in sports like AFL at the truly the upper levels because it's such an intense sport. So I don't think there, uh, I don't think there are too many clubs at the moment who are willing to take the risk on the non-operative management with their elite athletes at this stage. But we, you know, we'll just have to watch that space. But if I think if they're looking to return to amateur competitive level local sport, then that's definitely possible. And is that because of the reduced loading on the knee in terms of volume? Is that where you kind of draw those parallels from? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think professional sport is so intense. It's whether it will be able to, to cope with the demands of not having it. Then there's the factor of it hasn't really been done, so we're not really seeing it as as much as an as an option. Um, the 
the evidence base says that they are at no further risk of, of OA, no further risk of meniscus tears and thing and other injuries if they go non-operative. Um, so that the worry regarding those factors shouldn't really be the reason why you should have surgery because you're trying to prevent osteoarthritis, for example. But um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens at the um, the actual professional level. Did you find something valuable in this episode? If so, I'd like to ask a tiny favor. If you have 30 seconds now, I'd love you to follow or share the podcast. That way we can continue to bring you more real, raw and uncensored stories from industry leaders. We also love hearing from you and what you loved about every episode. The best way to reach out is to DM me personally on Instagram at Swift Coaches Academy. Until next time and in whatever you do, move swiftly.